Hey there, history fans. Melissa here. I just want to let you know that the episode you're about to listen to is one of our older episodes. So the way that we sound here is a bit different from what we sound like today. Over time, we've been able to change our format a bit. We've acquired new editing software as well as new mics. So if the sound quality here isn't to your liking, please feel free to check out any of our newer episodes from Elmer McCurdy or anything from about March 18th up to today. I promise they sound a lot better. Otherwise, please enjoy the episode. We hope you learned something new and we hope to have you back for more episodes as we continue to trek through history to explain it all. Hey there, history fans, and welcome back to the History Explains It All podcast. Part two of our Halloween special. (laughs) So, yesterday, we had our episode on Matthew Hopkins, the Witchfinder General. Self-appointed title, by the way. And today, our episode is on a rather... Infamous book. book or tome, however you want to describe this, known as the Malleus Maleficarum. I'd like to go into some detail on that name. Well, before we do that, I want to get into the detail of which the, the back the background history of witchcraft, the, the word witch and its evolution throughout history, and leading up to the Malleus in of itself. Because okay. I was rather kind of curious. So. Witchcraft has been around for an incredibly long time. And by witchcraft, we mean just persons of magical abilities, not specifically someone who rides a broom and owns a black cat. <laughs> though, though, or pretty, brews pretty potions. Awesome. Or brews potions or hats and that kind of stuff. Every human society has had the belief that there are people within it that they fear that they could cause some kind of misfortune or injury by use of magical means. And as we stated yesterday in Matthew Hopkins, that majority of the women, uh, the majority of the people that were accused and put to death, about 80% were females. And this has been true in terms of people believed to have had magical powers were mostly women throughout much of history. In fact, when we get to it, the word malleus maleficarum, which means the hammer of witches, Malleus is actually a Latin male term, a, a male noun, and the Maleficarum is actually female. So, and I, you can make Maleficarum a male noun, but it's specifically made as a female noun because it's essentially the patriarchy and men making women subverse to them. Hmm. Because the male, the hammer of the male against the female witches. But there's, there's witches listed throughout a a variety of different records throughout history. There's the witch at Endor, which is in the Bible. There's Baba Yaga, who is a a witch in Slavic history. There's Lilith. In fact, there's also written, actually in Hammurabi's code, there's written about witchcraft. And Romans Lex Cornelia, 
in the German Lex Salica. It wasn't really so much until the 1400s that witches really kind of took on a more negative term because even thinking to Roman times, you had your soothsayers and stuff. Maybe people didn't like them, but they didn't accuse them and have them burned at the stake. Unless maybe it was Nero's soothsayer. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole different topic, possibly. <laughs> Nero will be that, that He himself is a different one. Uh, so anyone who would have been likely accused of witchcraft starting around the 1400s, the, the term witch just went from mainly someone who was led astray by the use of magic to specifically someone who made a pact to serve Satan and to harm Christians in exchange for otherworldly powers. And mostly, again, this is heavily patriarchy, so majority of these people were women. And being, even nowadays, the term witch is not necessarily even used towards somebody who practices witchcraft or paganism or Wicca specifically as a religion, but also a term used towards particularly women who are independent, who are powerful, who are in charge of themselves. They're all thinkers. Yeah, they think for themselves. In fact, in the Malleus Maleficarum, there is a quote that says, women who think alone think evil. Let's not go into detail on that right now. No. But anyone or who, opinions. people who would have been accused of witchcraft outside of just women would have been the poor, orphans, homeless, just anyone that did not, who did not essentially submit to the white power privilege patriarchy of the, the church at the time. Of course not. And to give you a bit of a timeline, I, I've got a few different uh, bullet points here just to share with you. By the way, we'll actually have a link to a timeline for you on our Facebook page so that you can access it and look at it yourselves. Mm -hmm. So starting off, we have Pope Alexander IV in 1258, who actually prohibited the church from being able to prosecute witchcraft, although sorcery itself was an accepted form of heresy. So don't... I, to me, that sounds like a bit of a loophole because heresy is still something that you could have been punished for. But you, I guess you just couldn't outrightly accuse somebody of specifically being a witch. Basically, it sounds to me like they could be punished or killed for being a heretic versus being a witch. It could also mean that you could torture them for being a heretic. Mm -hmm. That's what that sounds like to me. Sounds about right. And then 1532, the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V specifically declared that all witches should be put to death by fire. So I don't know if necessarily burning at the stake for witchcraft was starting around this time, or if it had started prior, but this was now having your Holy Roman Empire now saying all witches should be burned at the stake. And then, of course, we have Matthew Hopkins in 1644 to 1647, which, as we said in yesterday's episode, killed 300 people. 60% of all the accused of witchcraft in England during the witchcraft craze. That's a lot of people. In general. And that's in, in general. That's, that's in four years alone. In four years. 300 people. And 1675, in Sweden's Torsica trials, 71 people were executed in a single day. Now, I want to look into this because this sounds like something really interesting. And aside from just that... What's even more interesting is that it was a Lutheran priest named Laurentius Horneus who actually had two boys under the direction of this Lutheran priest. The boys actually pointed at and picked out people 
as a, accusing them of witchcraft and then an en masse execution. Nice. Yeah. And then this is another thing that I want to talk about and possibly in another episode, but definitely a book that I want to look into. It's called The Enchanted World by Balthazar Becker, B-E-K-K-E-R, which was published in 1691. Apparently, it's a book on spectral magic, so we're talking witches' familiars and probably ghosts and necromancy, conjuring spirits and things of that nature. And in fact, the book was so popular, it even influenced Cotton Mather, who was present, who was one of the priests present at the Salem Witch Trials. And then there's a book, and remember, you, I, I got the book from Amazon I told you about, and it was really, really interesting, and, which may be the topic of a later episode as well. There's so much stuff here, you guys. And Henry V in 1419 accused his stepmother, <laughs> I, know that, I know you like this topic, Joan of Navarre, for attempting to kill him by witchcraft. And as he put it, in the most horrible manner that one could devise. I'm reading into this book. I'll let you know what that actually means once we probably have a topic on it. Mm. And I, think I might have to borrow this book. After I read it. No, I want to do it in the middle of your no, read. No, you're moving right now. <laughs> you're not reading anything. And then That's also not it's, true either. <laughs> it said that Richard III even declared that the marriage of his brother, Edward IV, to Lady Elizabeth Grey was also brought about by sorcery and witchcraft. Mm-hmm. Yep. No comment. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's kind of everywhere. Even in third, all the way back to 1324 in Coventry, England, it was discovered that various rich and influential burgers uh, within the town had been consulting with someone named Master John, who was known to be a professional necromancer. Not sure what that references to in the time of 1324, but... They paid him large sums of money to bring about the death of Edward II and other nobles of his court. So this has been around for a very long time and into various iterations, especially. Now, we, as I said, we, we think of witches today in terms of Wicca and witchcraft and paganism as something that also has been gaining a lot of popularity and momentum. And I think partly... That might be due to a lot of the early commercialism when you have women's magazines coming out in the very, in say, the Edwardian and very early 1920s, where women were dressed up as witches with a little pointy hat. And you can actually look through some of these. I might have a couple that we can link to. And so in that sort of commercialism, women were now, uh, you know, they're like, oh, it's, it's fun to dress up as a witch because it's just a costume. And then it evolved from there. And then you have a, a, you know, the Gardnerian sex starting in the 1950s, Wicca becoming an actual official religion in 1986 here in the States, and so on and so forth. And in fact, witchcraft, let alone paganism, has been picking up as spiritually in popularity for a, a while now, but it's definitely becoming even more and more popular. So the tides are kind of turning. Sure. But not during the witchcraft trials and the witchcraft craze. And with that, we're going to start with the Malleus. Well, we're going to go into detail on the authors first. It's just to give you a little background about that. So the authors were John Sprang, Yo- John Johann Spranger and Heinrich Kramer, who were both Dominicans, by the way, but also, but also. 
they, well, Johann Springer was a dean at the University of Cologne, and Heinrich Kramer was a professor of theology at the University of Salzburg. Just to give you a little idea on where that was, that was the Holy Roman Empire at the time. Cologne is today located in Germany, while Salzburg is today located in Austria. They're really, really close, let's put it that way. And not only was Kramer a professor of theology, he was also an inquisitor for the Tyrol region of today's Austria. So he had a lot <laughs> on his plate. But also, uh, I don't know, you said, I think you said you got this. You said uh, Springer's contribution to the book is also looked on by some, especially in the academia world, as being more symbolic. Yes. So there are those who think that Springer actually just lent his name, more or less, to mm -hmm. give scholarly credence to this book, if you will. And then there are some that believe he was an actual, he was, he was an additional an author. He was less of a contributor to the book and just put his name on it is what some are saying. Some are saying he was an actual contributor. Right, right. Whereas just, more like Kramer would be your main author and Springer would be your associate author. Yeah. I, I'm kind of more into the camp of that Springer probably had more to do with writing the book than most probably give him credit for. Because after the book was written, Kramer actually went on tour in and around Italy, and particularly the Vatican, with the book and giving mm -hmm. lectures about the book and the witchcraft and the, the judiciary systems and the different everything that's inside that we'll be talking about. And I don't know that Kramer on his own, because he doesn't have the same clout as Springer. True. I think without Springer's name, it wouldn't have made a difference. I, I don't know without Springer's actual contribution, let alone just his name, would have been yeah. able to let Kramer do his Vatican tours. Yeah, he needed Springer at least to contribute something. Well, we are the papal bull speaking of contributing things, okay. which is in of itself Let, a bit controversial. Sure, let's let's go into that. So in the year 1481, Springer and Kramer approached the Vatican, or at this time it was con he they contacted who Pope Innocent VIII at this time about contact or having been in contact with witches. And they basically told the Pope that their Vatican isn't doing enough to stop witchcraft and witchery and witches. Basically, they told the Pope he needs to get his stuff together, mm -hmm. is what it sounded like to me. Now, again, at this time, the witchcraft craze hadn't really fully taken off. Not yet. It's, it's of, at the beginning. It's at the very beginning. It hadn't fully become the height of what would be the... the Spanish Inquisition and witchcraft hunting throughout Europe. Spanish Inquisition, a whole other topic on its own. But they contacted the Pope in 1481, but Pope Innocent VIII didn't actually act or do anything on it until 1484, when he issued a papal bull, which basically gave inquisitors all the power when it came to witch hunting. It meant that people who are witch hunters or inquisitors were supported by the Catholic Church and the Vatican, basically, and that they could do whatever was necessary. They had full support to do whatever was necessary to hunt and destroy witches. Mm -hmm. So not the best thing? No. No. Now, it is, so, so in reference to the Malleus, at the beginning of the publication, this bull is actually listed 
It is it is referenced to there is it is actually in the publication. Mm-hmm. And although they got the papal bull previously from the Pope, the Pope did not actually endorse the Malleus as this papal bull actually indicates. So some actually thought it was a forgery, but we know that they actually received this papal bull, although for three or four years prior to the publication of the Malleus. And the, the bull was not issued in reference to the Malleus itself, but it was used. Yeah, the bull was issued more just for witchcraft, not specifying the Malleus Maleficarum at all, from my knowledge. So back to the Malleus Maleficarum itself, it is actually, the book is like a tome. It's huge. It's giant. And it's also sectioned into three parts. Mm-hmm. You have one that basically describes the depravity of witches, which is what I got. I think you got something different. Or am I confused? Mine's specifically out of the Malleus, so it's sort of written in a way that maybe I'm just not understanding, so we'll just go with yours. Either way, it works, because it's still, it's still the horror of witchery and all that other stuff. That sounds about right. Yeah, depravity of witches and description on demonology and how that's heretical. That's all it yeah. was for me. And in and, and, and invoking the fear of God into oneself. Mm. Part two goes into the description of stories about witches and how you can tell them apart from others. Basically, the God-fearing people and the, the their activities, which included contracts with the devil, relations with the devil and demons, and metamorphosis. As well as certain bodily imperfections that were seen as in use of witches, such as what we now consider to probably be moles. They consider to be witches' teats, which is just an odd thing oh you know Uh, birthmarks deformities and things like that yeah it's weird and then the part three of the malleus maleficarum discusses the procedures that one had to follow in order to try a witch or put a witch on trial torture was allowed according to this book in order to get a confession out of somebody and they even allowed secular authorities to help which i will get into in a little bit yes but as we said it's a very complicated book. But one of the main things is is that according to the book, witchcraft could be mainly found among the female gender. Yeah. I got things. There was actually a book that I came across called Witches, Midwives, and Nurses, which we'll have a link to. And you actually have some information about because I cannot understand why a midwife would be considered a witch. The only thing I could think of is, especially in this time, it's a woman with power. Mm-hmm. A woman with knowledge, which was not seen by the patriarchy to be something that the men wanted. Because, again, this is all white male supremacy at this time, as it kind of still is today, but we're not going to get into politics. Mm-hmm. But essentially, women throughout history and most societies were seen as either second-class citizens or just property I mean, we were talking about prior to, to recording this, even in ancient Rome, or sorry, in ancient in Greece, Greece. Not, in, not in Sparta, because Spartans were kind of their own thing, but in Athens even, the hierarchy of people that lived there, it was your land-owning citizens, which were all men, and then you have your free slaves, your slaves, and then your women. Women were always last. Yes. And they weren't even considered citizens. Women weren't allowed to go to school. They weren't allowed to do anything without a male escort. It was crazy. But also when you go to midwives, men don't give birth. (laughs) Okay? Men don't give birth. There's a whole lot that goes on into 
being pregnant, and then also passing the baby, essentially. Uh, men lack a uterus, so... Right. So, I don't understand how somebody who does not give birth feels that it's their job to tell somebody who does give birth how they're supposed to do it. Because they know best. And so, midwives were Sorry. seen as women who were powerful and knowledgeable because they were able to help out women. Yes. But in this case, help out in a negative way. Yeah. Women midwives were particularly accused because it was believed that they could prevent pregnancy from occurring or make someone miscarry. Again, I don't understand why someone who takes on the job of a midwife would want to make you miscarry your child. It was also believed that midwives ate the children, like consumed them. All right, we're going back to that again. Or they offered them to the devil. Okay. Witches eating babies. Satanists eating babies. Women, in general, eating babies. Where does this come from? I don't really know where this comes from. I don't either. There's very few known cannibalistic societies throughout history. There's some, but they're very small. And even in survival situations, it's not... It's it, it's possible. I mean, the donor party, let alone. But <laughs> that is an incredibly rare survival situation that you ate another human being. But, I mean, let's just go back to the satanic panic of the 80s. I mean, animal sacrifice was kind of one thing. But baby eating. It was thought that women would eat their young... I mean, I, okay, praying mantises kind of eat their mates. And black widows eat their mates. And there, there are some things, I think Caitlin's crickets. Caitlin's crickets were eating their young. It happens, but humans don't eat their babies. But crickets, black widows, and praying mantis don't have the ability of higher thought. Mm-hmm. They didn't come up with their own language, like English, and like 50 other languages that are across the world as humans did. 50,000, maybe. Yeah, there's... I just came up with a number, obviously. <laughs> there's tons of languages on this planet... It's not like the dolphin came up with it. We did. Humanity. It's astounding to me. As far as I know, this whole whole baby eating thing was just a way to put fear into women. And as we said before, the quote from the Malleus is, Women who think alone think evil. Because this is, uh, particularly this was also back in the time, as we stated in yesterday's weird history, women... At, specifically at this time and throughout most of history as well, weren't allowed to do things on her own. Weren't allowed to, they, like with Athens, they had to be accompanied elsewhere. I mean, that was very a Victorian thing. Women could not be out and about by herself without a male accompaniment. It, women were subjected to things because they were just seen as the weaker gender. We're just not as strong. Physically. Physically, I was going to say. <laughs> you forgot the word physical in there. <laughs> and and some women are very strong. Well, All you have to do is look at look across the planet today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's tons of them that could outmatch a well, man. I had even mentioned Hypatia, which I really want to do an episode on. She was in Greece, and her dad, who was very well-known, and he was a very studious kind of person, and he had her actually study where women weren't allowed to study. She studied mathematics and theology and philosophy and a whole bunch of other things. And if I remember correctly, the story goes that she was out in the forum one day 
probably talking about philosophy. I, I do, I, I, I'd have to look into it, but I don't remember off the top of my head. But I do remember that whatever it is she was talking about was not looked well upon by the men around her who then promptly killed her in broad daylight <laughs> because she was a woman with knowledge. <sighs> just just to let you guys know, there's going to be a lot of... Ugh. <sighs> like we had frustration, but this in particular, this book, this made me angry. <laughs> Reading it, <laughs> and I will try not to be angry, but I'm just, mm, I got my opinions. Uh, well, back to the book. Uh, in order to tell if someone was a witch, basically they would have to strip in a cell to be looked at to see if they had any identifying witch marks, and again. As the book believed that witchcraft was really among the female gender, they used other women to try and find these marks. And some of... So, so they would also test them, and some of the tests actually included drowning or burning of the accused. And, of course, if you actually did drown or burn alive, uh, you weren't a witch. But, uh, again, like yesterday, you're still dead. You, you didn't survive it. But another important side to these trials was a confession from the accused. Right, I got a couple of notes from the Malleus oh, in reference to that. So first, I wanna, I'm just going to go back real quick because there's a, an interesting little story out there, like a, a bit from the Malleus mm-hmm. in reference to what witches do. <laughs> I found this to be kind of funny. Or it could just be me. So, in quote, it says, A certain honest man was bargaining with a woman and would not come to terms with her about the price of some article. So she angrily called after him, You will soon wish you had agreed. For witches generally use this man in manner of speaking, or something like it, when they wish to bewitch a person by looking at them. Then he, not unreasonably being angry with her, looked over his shoulder to see with what intention she had uttered those words. And behold, he was suddenly bewitched so that his mouth was stretched sideways as far as his ears and a horrible deformity. And he could not drop back, but remained so deformed for a long time. (laughs) And I'm like, what kind of fiction are you stringing along here? Not physically possible. <laughs> and then there's, and I'm going to the the whole torturing thing. There's a whole section in section two that covers this and a couple mm-hmm. little bits from that. Just, just wow. And it says, if neither threats or promises will induce her to confess the truth, then officers must proceed with the sins. She must be examined, not in any new or exquisite manner, but in the usual way, with light or heavy torture, in accordance to the nature of her crimes. And while she's being questioned, let her be often and frequently exposed to torture, beginning with the gentle torture and expanding to the more heavy torture. What's gentle torture? Probably poking. I'm thinking Ugh. like Matthew Hopkins with his pricking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. And then the, the judge should not be hasty to proceed to the graver kind, as we were saying. Once this is done, let the notary write it all down how she's tortured what questions are asked, and how she answers. And if she confesses under torture, she will then be taken to another place and questioned anew so that she does not confess only under the stress of torture. But essentially, it also goes on to say that if she doesn't confess, you continue torturing her 
by whatever methods necessary until she does confess. And then at that point, you can torture her some more. And if she still doesn't confess, then you keep torturing her until you get a confession. If I can expound upon that. Go right ahead. Pertaining to, again, the confessions, we're still on that subject. In order to actually execute, hang, burn, whatever, whichever form you executed them, someone for being a witch, they actually had to confess to being a witch. And in order to get the confession, the inquisitor or jailer, whoever it was doing the torture, like the Malia said, can continue until they get the confession. However, you know, laws versus Malleus Maleficarum were a different thing. And if someone quickly confessed to having been a witch, then the devil had already left them. And if they didn't confess, the opposite meant the devil was still within them. They still had a pact with the devil. However, if someone did not confess, then the church did actually not have the authority to execute someone. And it, within a year of, no, of torture and still no confession, they had the ability to turn people over to these secular authorities. And once you turn them over to the secular authorities, they can do whatever they want, basically. They could still use them as, oh, they were torturing you, and even though you didn't confess, we still think you're a witch, so we can make a reason up for you to be hung or hanged. Sorry. So it... Mm, mm -hmm. Just... Mm. Mm -hmm. Another option was that... If someone who was confused of witchcraft and didn't confess but offered others, other people, as possible witches, they were promised their life. However, there were stipulations to that that the person was not given, which means they didn't have all the information. So even if you didn't confess and you did give someone else up, you were probably still going to die. Mm -hmm. But what fascinates me the most is that after going into all this detail about how to tell a witch, how to find a witch, how to torture a witch, and then how to kill a witch. You also had, the book talks about ways to protect oneself against witchcraft, spells and potions and so on and so forth, but you're going to use non-witchcraft against witchcraft. How is that going to deflect anything? It's not. So that, that just astounds me. There's that, and then I've also got going to the whole judgment thing on more of passing sentence, but it's kind of somewhere between the passing sentence stage and part three and whether determining somebody is a witch in part two, because the Malleus is full of various stories that were written and referenced. Now, again, some of these are likely to be made up. Some of them, maybe, maybe not. I, I don't know if they're corresponding court cases to these, but some of them were likely made up. But in going to determining whether somebody was a witch, there's also a small section in part two that says that if a person could shed tears while being tortured, then they weren't a witch. Because yeah. witches cannot shed tears. Yeah. I don't really understand that at all. That makes no sense. And it says that the judge could pass a sentence on someone and using certain methods to bring about her to tears so that then they would be able to get the confession. And then this one I found absolutely, this is probably the funniest thing I found in the whole Malleus. And this is, we're going back to talking about that women were uh, stripped and usually stripped in their, their cells and then examined by other women. In addition to that, 
They would also, some of them, depending on, and now, mind you, this isn't solely women. This would possibly have happened to men, too. It's just the incredibly overwhelming amount were women. But not even just humiliation in the cell of being accused by a witch, and now you've got all this like person doing literally a physical exam on you. But they would have also stripped the accused down completely, possibly even shaved them from head to toe, and then had them out in broad daylight in public so that people can know that this person was accused of being a witch hmm. and could be examined in public. So now you have just degradation and public humiliation. But in terms of being in the jail cell, it's also said that witches could be quite the persuaders. And I don't know about you, and you know me well, I am quite a persuader. <laughs> but I don't think I could even do this. So this one little story goes is that if a witch sees the judge prior to the judge seeing her prior to being sentenced, she would then be able to essentially mind control the judge into having losing all the anger the judge has against the accused witch and then uh, suggesting to them not to molest them in any way and allow them to go free. But if the judge looked at the witch before the witch looked at him, then the judge has no control, or the witch has no control, the judge loses her powers. What? <laughs> Just what? I, I, yeah, but because women were supposed to be submissive. Well, there's that. Let's not get into it. Anyway. Yeah, I don't want to get into it. It's I'm just, just it's gonna. I'm gonna get it, angry. You're gonna get angry. I'm gonna get annoyed, and it's just gonna be frustrating all, <laughs> all around. And I don't want to like make the episode horrible for <laughs> listeners. So, but at the end, I actually found that the book was actually banned by the church slash Vatican, but it was still extremely popular due to what was going on at the time. Because, of course, there was the Reformation and the Counter-Reformation of Europe, where Protestants and Catholics were trying to keep the Christian faith pure and clean. Quote, but unquote. I think you you found something else or something like that, that there wasn't an actual writing in of it or something? Well... Being banned? Not... I didn't find anything that officially stated that it was banned. It had believed that it was banned and that the Malleus was actually put into the church's Index Laborium Prohibitorium, which is the church's list of prohibited books. Okay. But there's actually no record of it listed in the church officially as being something banned. So uh -huh. it may have just been, as as opposed to, like, state versus federal. Yeah. It could have just been a local ban in certain places, but it was never officially banned by the church. Okay. But also, there... There, there, there's a theory as to why witch hunting was so popular at its time. It's also believed that it was so popular because at the time, especially, people were questioning their faith. Mm -hmm. And in order to solidify it, you had to have an enemy. As someone who grew up in the Jewish faith, that makes no sense to me. Because we didn't need an enemy to solidify our faith in our faith. That makes no sense. I don't really get that personally. But also people never wanted to admit that they were questioning their own faith. So Malleus Maleficarum spread rapidly. And also, Highly not long before, Johannes Gutenberg came up with the printing press. Which meant, rather than think monks handwriting out a book in ridiculously long and elaborate writing, 
because that's how you got books out there before the printing press was invented. The printing press churned books out at the time. Mm -hmm. It was easy to spread and easy to get across, all across Europe at the time. But not only that, the Malleus Maleficarum, I had that, there's more than one edition of this dang book. There's so many editions. That within a span of 120 years alone, there's something between 19 editions and 28 editions. But think this. This is late 1400s. The book was Early published, 1500s. The book was published in 1487? Something like that. Yeah, somewhere in here. <laughs> yeah, three, three years after the papal book, so. 1484, yeah. Yeah, because I, I think it was in threes, because it was 1481 with the... Going to the, the Pope. The request from the Pope. 1484, three years later, for the actual papal bull, and then 1487, three, another three years, so six years in total, if they started writing this in 1481. I'm, I'm not really sure that they did, but think of that. fourteen Late 1400s, early 1500s, beginning of it, there's several, there's got to have come several editions just between that time alone for 19 to 20 editions to have come out in 120 years. There's still editions. Yeah. Well, I'm talking about just in this time in particular. Oh. But, like, that's an extreme amount of editions of a book. Outside of the Bible. Yeah. Which, at the time, I don't think it was until Luther, Martin Luther, that the Bible was still printed in Latin. I believe Martin Luther's his version of the Bible, which was printed in German, was the first non-Latin printed Bible for the common folk to be able to read. And that was in the 1500s. Yeah. In the early 1500s. So it was yeah. like 25 years after the Malleus, maybe tops. Maybe. But it's just astounding how much this book weighed on people's beliefs and conscience. It, it's not a positive way either. Oh, no. As we said, it had massive influence. I was going to go repercussions. Yeah. It had repercussions, but not in the way that it, it believed in that it did. But it definitely had massive influence throughout Europe. Which oh, yeah. even led into the Americas, as we said. This was an was an influential book that mm -hmm. was part of, or, or or in part used within the Salem witch trials. Yeah, which was when again? 1690s? Yeah, yeah. That's over two hundred years later. Yeah, that this book still weighed in. And it's it ridiculous. Was, and in most places throughout Europe, it wasn't until the seven, like seventeen twenty-five and on, where you had witchcraft acts or repeals of witchcraft acts, like the English one in seventeen thirty-four that specifically said that you can no longer accuse someone of being a witch. And then France passed some, and Germany passed some, and so it wasn't until like seventeen twenty-five and onward where you have different countries throughout Europe passing laws that specifically say you cannot accuse someone of being a witch yeah ridiculous i mean i had a note that specifically said in 200 years from about 1500 to 1700 specifically it is thought that anywhere between 600,000 to possibly as much as 9 million people were accused of witchcraft let alone possibly died yeah as a result of being accused of being a witch in 200 years at least 600,000 people yeah, throughout course. Europe. That's, those are plague numbers. I mean, technically it was a plague. It was a plague of stupidity. Stupidity? Stu yeah, more so than that. <laughs> it, it's a plague of stupidity, but that's all for today's episode. <laughs> We're not going to keep going here, guys. 
It's just too much. But we hope you did enjoy this and learn something from it. I know I learned something from it when researching these ridiculous topics and people. <laughs> but I hope it was interesting for you. And if you have any questions, you can reach us at uh, our Facebook page, which is History Explains It All. Our Instagram page is History Explains It All underscore podcast. And History Explains All at gmail.com. You can find us at all of these locations. And we'd love to hear from you and hear what you thought. And we hope that you have a, a wonderful... spooky, spooky Halloween. Well, had because that had. was yesterday. Oh, that's right. That was yesterday. <laughs> Every day is Halloween for me, you guys. Why not? We still hope you have a spooky time and have an awesome November and upcoming Thanksgiving. Yes. Hope to hear from y'all. Talk to y'all soon. <laughs> As Bye. in two weeks. <laughs> Bye. Bye.